0: Beyond the Bayou by Kate Chopin This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mary Beth Blackburn Beyond the Bayou by Kate Chopin The bayou curved like a crescent around the point of land on which the Falls cabin stood. Between the stream and the hut lay a big, abandoned field, where cattle were pastured when the bayou supplied them with water enough. Through the woods that spread back into unknown regions, the woman had drawn an imaginary line, and past this circle she never stepped. This was the form of her only mania. She was now a large, gaunt black woman, past thirty-five. Her real name was Jacqueline, But everyone on the plantation called her La because in childhood she had been frightened literally out of her senses, and had never wholly regained them. It was when there had been skirmishing and sharpshooting all day in the woods. Evening was near when Petit Met, black with powder and crimson with blood, had staggered into the cabin of Jacqueline's mother, his pursuers close at his heels. The sight had stunned her childish reason. She dwelt alone in her solitary cabin for the rest of the quarters had long since been removed beyond her sight and knowledge she had more physical strength than most men and made her patch of cotton and corn and tobacco like the best of them but the world beyond the bayou she had long known nothing save what her morbid fancy conceived people at Belleseen had grown used to her and her way and they thought nothing of it even when old Miss died they did not wonder that Lafal had not crossed the bayou, but had stood upon her side of it, wailing and lamenting. Petite Met was now the owner of Bellicine. He was a middle-aged man, with a family of beautiful daughters about him, and a little son whom Lafal loved as if he had been her own. She called him Sherry, and so did everyone, because she did. None of the girls had ever been to her what Sherry was. They had each and all loved to be with her, and to listen to her wondrous stories of things that always happened yonder, beyond the bayou. But none of them had stroked her black hand quite as Sherry did, nor rested their heads against her knee so confidingly, nor fallen asleep in her arms as he used to do. For Sherry hardly did such things now, since he had become the proud possessor of a gun, and had had his black curls cut off. That summer. The summer Sherry gave Fall two black curls tied with a knot of red ribbon. The water ran so low in the bayou that even the little children at Belisine were able to cross it on foot, and the cattle were sent to pasture down by the river. fall was sorry when they were gone, for she loved these dumb companions well, and liked to feel that they were there, and to hear them browsing by night up to her own enclosure. It was Sunday afternoon, when the fields were deserted. The men had flocked to a neighboring village to do their week's trading, and the women were occupied with household affairs. La did as well as the others. It was then she mended and washed her handful of clothes, scoured her house, and did her baking. In this last employment she never forgot Sherry. Today she had fashioned croquinhos of the most fantastic and alluring shapes for him so when she saw the boy come trudging across the old field with his gleaming little new rifle on his shoulder she called out gaily to him sherry sherry but sherry did not need the summons for he was coming straight to her his pockets all bulged out with almonds and raisins and an orange that he had secured for her from the very fine dinner which he had been given that day up at his father's house he was a sunny-faced youngster of ten when he had emptied his pockets La patted his round cheek, wiped his soiled hands on her apron, and smoothed his hair. Then she watched him as, with his cakes in his hand, he crossed her strip of cotton back of the cabin and disappeared into the wood. He had boasted of the things he was going to do with his gun out there. "'You think they got plenty deer in the wood, Lafal? he had inquired, with the calculating air of an experienced hunter. "'No, no,' the woman laughed. "'Don't you look for no deer, Cherry? That's too big, but you bring Lothal one good fat squirrel for her dinner tomorrow, and she gon' be satisfied. One squirrel ain't a bite. I'll bring you mawn one, Lothal. He had boasted pompously as he went away. When the woman, an hour later, heard the report of the boy's rifle close to the wood's edge, she would have thought nothing of it if a sharp cry of distress had not followed the sound. She withdrew her arms from the tub of suds in which they had been plunged, dried them upon her apron, and as quickly as her trembling limbs would bear her, hurried to the spot whence the ominous report had come. It was as she feared. There she found Sherry stretched upon the ground with his rifle beside him. He moaned piteously. I'm dead, LaFalle! I'm dead! I'm gone! Nom, nom! she exclaimed resolutely as she knelt beside him. Put your arm round la fall's neck, Sherry. Dat's nothin. Dat's goin to be nothin. She lifted him in her powerful arms. Sherry had carried his gun muzzle downward. He had stumbled. He did not know how. He only knew that he had a ball lodged somewhere in his leg. And he thought that his end was at hand. Now, with his head upon the woman's shoulder, he moaned and wept with pain and fright. Oh, la fall, la fall, it hurts so bad i can't stand it la Folle. don't cry mon babe mon babe mon chéri the woman spoke soothingly as she covered the ground with long strides la fall gon' mind you dr Bonfils gon' come and make mon chéri well again she had reached the abandoned field as she crossed it with her precious burden she looked constantly and restlessly from side to side a terrible fear was upon her the fear of the world beyond the bayou, the morbid and insane dread she had been under since childhood. When she was at the bayou's edge, she stood there and shouted for help as if a life depended on it. Oh, petite met, petite met, venez donc, au secours, au secours! No voice responded. Sherry's hot tears were scalding her neck. She called for each and every one upon the place, and still no answer came she shouted she wailed but whether her voice remained unheard or unheeded no reply came to her frenzied cries and all the while sherry moaned and wept and entreated to be taken home to his mother the fall gave a last despairing look around her extreme terror was upon her she clasped the child close against her breast where he could feel her heart beat like a muffled hammer Then, shutting her eyes, she ran suddenly down the shallow bank of the bayou and never stopped till she had climbed the opposite shore. She stood there, quivering an instant, as she opened her eyes. Then she plunged into the footpath through the trees. She spoke no more to Sherry, but muttered constantly, Bon Dieu, ayez pitié la fale, Bon Dieu, ayez pitié moi. Instinct seemed to guide her. When the pathway spread clear and smooth enough before her, she again closed her eyes tightly against the sight of that unknown and terrifying world. A child, playing in some weeds, caught sight of her as she neared the quarters. The little one uttered a cry of dismay. Lafal! She screamed in her piercing of treble. Lafal done crossed the byre! Quickly the cry passed down the line of cabins. Yonder, Lafal done crossed the bayou children old men old women young ones with infants in their arms flocked to doors and windows to see this awe-inspiring spectacle most of them shuddered with superstitious dread of what might pretend she totem sherry some of them shouted some of the more daring gathered about her and followed at her heels only to fall back with new terror when she turned her distorted face upon them her eyes were bloodshot and the saliva had gathered in a white foam on her black lips. Someone had run ahead of her to where Petit Met sat with his family and guests upon the gallery. Petit Met, La Falle done crossed bayou. Look her, look her yonder totin cherry. This startling intimation was the first which they had of the woman's approach. She was now near at hand. She walked with long strides, her eyes were fixed desperately before her, and she breathed heavily as a tired fox. At the foot of the stairway, which she could not have mounted, she laid the boy in his father's arms. Then the world that had looked red to La Fall suddenly turned black, like that day she had seen powder and blood. She reeled for an instant. Before a sustaining arm could reach her, she fell heavily to the ground. When the Fall regained consciousness, she was at home again in her own cabin and upon her own bed the moon rays streaming in through the open door and windows gave what light was needed to the old black mammy who stood at the table concocting a tisane of fragrant herbs it was very late others who had come and found that the stupor clung to her had gone again petite maître had been there and with him doctor bonfils who said that la might die but death had passed her by The voice was very clear and steady with which she spoke to Tante Lisette, brewing her tisane there in the corner. "'If you will give me one good drink tisane, Tante Lisette, I believe I'm going to sleep, me.' And she did sleep, so soundly, so healthfully, that old Lisette, without compunction, stole softly away, to creep back through the moonlit fields to her own cabin in the new quarters. The first touch of the cool gray morning awoke the fall she arose calmly as if no tempest had shaken and threatened her existence but yesterday she donned her new blue cotton and white apron for she remembered that this was sunday when she had made herself a cup of strong black coffee and drunk it with relish she quitted the cabin and walked across the old familiar field to the bayou's edge again she did not stop there as she had always done before but crossed with a long steady stride as if she had done this all her life. But when she made her way through the brush and scrub cottonwood trees that lined the opposite bank, she found herself upon the border of a field where the white bursting cotton, with the dew upon it, gleamed for acres and acres like frosted silver in the early dawn. Folle drew a long, deep breath as she gazed across the country. She walked slowly and uncertainly, like one who hardly knows how, looking about her as she went. The cabins, that yesterday had sent a clamor of voices to pursue her, were quiet now. No one was yet astir at Bellicine. Only the birds that darted here and there from hedges were awake, and singing their matins. When the fall came to the broad stretch of velvety lawn that surrounded the house, she moved slowly with delight over the springy turf that was delicious beneath her tread. She stopped to find whence came those perfumes that were assailing her senses with memories from a time far gone. There they were, stealing up to her from the thousand blue violets that peeped out from green luxuriant beds. There they were, showering down from the big waxen bells of the magnolias far above her head and from the jessamine clumps around her. There were roses, too, without number. To right and left palms spread in broad and graceful curves. It all looked like enchantment beneath the sparkling sheen of dew. When LaFalle had slowly and cautiously mounted the many steps that led up to the veranda, she turned to look back at the perilous ascent she had made. Then she caught sight of the river, bending like a silver bow at the foot of Belacine. Exultation possessed her soul. LaFalle rapped softly on a door near at hand. Sherry's mother soon cautiously opened it. Quickly and cleverly, she dissembled the astonishment she felt at seeing LaFalle. Oh, LaFalle! Is it you so early? Oui, madame. I come ax how my poor lil' Cherry do this morning. He is feeling easier, thank you, LaFalle. Dr. Bonfield says it will be nothing serious. He's sleeping now. Will you come back when he awakes? No, madame. I'm goin' wait here till Sherry wake up. LaFalle seated herself upon the topmost step of the veranda. A look of wonder and deep content crept into her face as she watched for the first time the sun rise upon the new, the beautiful world beyond the bayou. End of Beyond the Bayou by Kate Chopin Recorded by Mary Beth Blackburn at goldawardadventures.blogspot.com